Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sancion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Suzanne Lasser, and today on Bilingual in America, Yarina and I speak with Susan Breddy and Dr. Lauren Rohbach about Bilingual in America's partnership with Manhattanville College's Changing Suburbs Institute affectionately known as CSI. The theme for CSI's 16th Annual Educators Forum, taking place virtually on Friday, April 22nd, is cultural responsiveness, unlocking the potential for diverse learners. During episode 14, we heard from Dr. Nancy Cloud about what she will be sharing as this year's keynote speaker. Right now, instead of sharing too many program details secondhand, let's just dive right in so you can hear about it directly from CSI Director Susan Breddy and one of the presenters, Dr. Lauren Roba. So excited to have you share today on Bilingual in America and welcome. And thank you for having us. And thank you for allowing us to partner with you. Yes, of course. Well, we believe that if when we align with others, championing the same causes, that we could reach more people and, and just really get good information out to folks. Susan, I'd love to start with you. If you sure. could just um, tell us a little bit about what is the Changing Suburbs Institute? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I'm relatively new in this position, but such an honor. I learned about the Changing Suburbs Institute when I was actually working in one of our partner districts, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. So that was my first exposure. And then over the summer, the opportunity arose for me to take on this really important work. So I, I'm quite honored to be a part of it. And for those of your listeners who are not familiar with it, it is a collaborative initiative between uh, colleges and right now eight districts, 17 schools. And it's really our goals is to improve the educational opportunities for diverse learners. I mean, that is our mission. And we have four major goals and our work is really aligned around those four major goals. And the first one is really teacher development and leadership development through our PDS. And PDS is our professional development schools. And through that work, we're supporting our teacher candidates. We're supporting the leadership. Um, we're supporting the teachers who are already teaching in these schools with professional development, with, uh, and Lauren will probably speak to more about what she's doing as a PBS liaison also, in addition to her leading a workshop. We're really there to improve these instructional practices and student learning in these, our partner schools. Second goal is collaboration with our community partners. And so we do that through advisory groups, leadership groups, Hispanic parent leadership groups. Our third major goal is parent engagement. And we're really trying to help our parents to be strong advocates for their, their children, you know, who are, who are in the education system. And we do that through at least two forums a year. One is always focused on special education coming up in April. Last November, we had Alyssa Alvarez. She was our keynote in November. Our next major goal is really the dissemination of information. And that's really the tie into what we're going to be talking about 
today is our Ed Forum. So we put on an, ed, an annual Ed Forum and we really try to get well-respected, renowned keynote speakers that talk about the topics that are of interest to us and really align to the changing suburbs Institute that we had Randall Ferguson. And this year we're so fortunate to have Dr. Nancy Cloud. Those are our four main goals. And I'm happy to report that we've been recognized by the White House with what's called bright spots in Hispanic education. I think we're really doing really good work the changing suburbs in meeting all of those four goals. I really appreciate how your mission is about touching every aspect that touches the child's life. It's yeah. the educators, it's their parents, their families, it's the children themselves. It's really, you know, when you create that triangle, it's just a really strong life force. And we know that we can't do it alone, that we need all those pieces and all those advocates you know, moving the conversation forward and moving each child forward. So that's beautiful work. In years past, I know that the educational forum has been an in-person event. However, this year, as we continue to work through the pandemic, it will be a virtual experience. And maybe you can share a bit about why this theme of unlocking the potential for diverse learners is really relevant for teachers and students as we all continue to teach and learn through these shifts that have been brought on mm -hmm. by the pandemic. So Suzanne, I, I do want to build on the first thing that you mentioned. It is virtual because of COVID. And we're trying to reboot our 2020. This was planned for 2020, this Ed Forum with Dr. Nancy Cloud. And we had a number of, again, well-respected folks who were going to offer workshops and then COVID canceled the whole forum. And so when our CSI advising committee met again this year and said, what's our plan? What, what, what do we really want to do? And what's going to be our message? And, and let's go back to reboot, see if these folks are available. And I reached out to, to Dr. Cloud and she said, I would love to participate. She had done so much work leading up into in the research really into Westchester County's districts so that she could really talk specifically about what's going on in our schools, our local schools. And then we had to cancel it. So she was so happy to come on board again. We were able to, to have two of the workshops that we had planned in 2020 come back. And I reached out to Lauren and Lauren's gonna be one of our presenters at one of our workshops. And she agreed right away. I mean, she didn't even hesitate, said that she'd be happy to participate. And then we also have one of our professors, Dr. Susan Iverson, who's gonna be talking about the framework. So we thought that was a really important topic to bring into this conference. So when we set out and planned it, we didn't know where we would be in the pandemic and, and thankfully we're hopefully gonna see an end in sight, but we thought virtual was um, the way to go. So it is nine to 12.15 for those who are interested in attending, registration will be through BOCES frontline system. And there'll be some tiered pricing for our partners, our PDS partners. And we're actually partnering with the Action Network district. So that'll be good news as well. So the format of the the workshop will be Dr. Cloud will be presenting for about 90 minutes. And then we've got four workshops planned. Each will run for about an hour. And with your permission, let me just tell you what those four workshops will be. We've got two professors, really well-respected um, professors at Manhattanville College in our 
School of Education Department, who will be talking or speaking to multimodal, multilingual, multicultural, culturally responsive pedagogy for emergent bilinguals. So again, tying into to your great work, Suzanne, Rena, and TSI. Our second workshop that we'll be offering is called Stories in a Print and Digital World, supporting all students as readers and creators. And then Susan Iverson, who I just mentioned, and Lauren, who will be speaking about her workshop uh, momentarily. So I don't want to take away her thunder. Suzanne, to answer your question, I think this topic that Dr. Cloud's going to speak about was relevant pre-COVID. I think we as, as educators have a responsibility to educate all learners, right? And so this focus, even though it's kind of at the tail end of COVID, is really relevant, I think, no matter where we are. Right? As educators, we really do need to reach every learner, whether they're multilingual, they're just coming to our country and they're just starting to learn the language. And those who've been here, born in our country, who are, you know, need these strategies that Nancy will talk about and, and Lauren's gonna speak to at her conference. I think that's a great way to to come back and to come back strong. Yes. Unfortunately, there are so many things that we've lost as a result of this pandemic. And the fact that you are coming back, you know, you hit the reset button and you said, let's reboot yeah. and we're going to, yeah. you know, move forward with this really rich opportunity for those of us who are lifelong learners, right? Yes. Those educators out there who are thirsty for presentations and opportunities to connect. I know that having missed out on so many of the traditional opportunities for us as educators, this is reassuring. And that's really our focus of our parent conferences too, is we're in this together, we're partners with you, we're gonna get through this together. That was our focus of our November conference and our April conference with we're your partners. We're gonna help you navigate the state, the local, how to support your children when they were learning remotely. Just for our listeners so that you know, whether you are a seasoned veteran educator or you happen to be currently in a program, either your bachelor's or master's in education, there are sessions here that will benefit you as you begin to think about what can your work look like and what more should you be doing in terms of supporting all learners. Uh, absolutely. And on registration through BOCES, they will have their choice of which workshop is of most interest to them and be able to, to go into that breakout room and hear, again, really well-respected professors and experts speak about one of those four topics. So we're so lucky that we have one of the presenters here with us. Lauren, if you could just share a bit about your in-depth work with the culturally responsive pedagogy. Some of our listeners might not be aware of what this is. We really would appreciate that. Of course. And my workshop is really for people attending the conference who've had maybe a bit less experience with the topic or maybe their experience has been focused upon our traditional view of what culturally responsive pedagogy is. I think we tend to think it's for L's, it's for students with different linguistic backgrounds at the very least or from different places. I want to do that and I've done that as a professor. I taught culturally responsive concepts to my course last semester, Multiculturalism for Educators. And what I get from students a lot is, well, I don't teach diverse learners, or I don't think I will be teaching diverse learners. And I always say, of course you will be, because culture expands beyond the bounds of language and national origin. And it entails everything that students bring with them to the classroom. 
so my dissertation research, I was actually in Florida at the University of Central Florida. I'm still working on trying to shift my focus to New York's different context because I'm, I'm pretty new to Manhattanville. It's my second semester. But what I did in Florida is took a look at district ESOL policies, which they have in the state of Florida. And I tried to find allocations for culturally responsive practice, not necessarily, I say practice because it expands beyond pedagogy, right? Institutional level. And of course, this is policy level at the district level. And those things can include techniques in the classroom, like student-centered approaches, collaborative learning, portfolios, anything that takes the student perspective into account because cultural differences arise from family practice, you know, literacy habits in the home, from parental beliefs over what school should entail, religion, gender and sexuality, even regional orientation in the country. I know I've had a bit of a cultural adjustment moving to New York and being so close to the city. And so it's anything students bring with them, right? We call that student schema. It's just something that's really interested me since I began as a student teacher in Baltimore City. And I saw we used WIDA in the state of Maryland. I don't know if listeners know what WIDA is, but it's you know a system of standards and testing procedures to place students in ESOL levels. I was watching one of these WIDA screeners with a student from Cameroon, and they were doing flashcards, right? Verbal identification of the vocabulary to, to understand where he was coming in. And he had a limited educational background. And from his home country, we weren't quite sure what he knew in French. And he was obviously very nervous. He was shy. And three of the flashcards that stuck out to me were snowman, baseball, and hot dog. I will never forget this because he clearly did not know these concepts in his home country. And yet we were expecting him to know the words in English. And that's when I think I started to consider the importance of making sure all of our instruction is culturally responsive. So yes, for ELLS, but for everybody um, as well, because if students don't feel nurtured and supported by their teacher, if they don't feel understood, if they don't feel like they're being asked where they're coming from, they're going to turn off maybe a part of themselves that's open to learning and to being a part of their new community. So. I think that's just incredibly important. And I've received comments, you know, when I published my research about, can you prove that culturally responsive pedagogy is tied to increased test scores? And I mean, no, we can't definitively prove that, right? We know that the limits of educational research, we can maybe write up case studies that indicate that it's possible, but I do think it's just, it shouldn't matter. I think it's logical that it would but we should care about supporting our students emotionally and um, making sure that they're comfortable in their new environment. So that's sort uh, of for my research. I'm so inspired that as a young student teacher, you saw something that was like opaque to everybody else and that you, you really internalized it and carried it forth through into your whole educational work, career, like your focus, and how fortunate your students must be to have someone so astute and so connected to what students need and, and how this work is really for everybody. I, I really appreciate the power behind that because I think sometimes we tend to say, oh no, that's not for me. But it's really important to, for us to realize that once you touch children's lives, it's it's for everybody. 
Thank you so much. That's that's a wonderful compliment. I truly hope to be someone that students can be inspired by. And I, yes, I've carried through that sort of research focus and interest over the last 10 years or so. My workshop sort of goes backwards a bit into just what is culture and the idea that we all have culture, because I think it's easy to forget that we do have culture and that what we think, not absolutely everything, but many of the things we believe are normal or expected and what school should look like, they're all culturally influenced. So what I have my students do is reflect on their own culture, right? Their own sense of identity and who they are. And I place them using my lessons into scenarios that are unfamiliar so they can see their influence, you know, what their perspective would be. I have videos from my travels. I've taught in four different foreign countries. And so I've done that mainly because I know as someone who grew up in an affluent neighborhood, I'm not, I'm a native English speaker, right? I wanted to be able to, you know, understand my students better. Traveling doesn't allow that 100%, but I do know what it feels like to be an outsider and to just completely not understand what's going on around me and to not have that acknowledged. If you have students, from China who might be unfamiliar with the Pledge of Allegiance or you know, things that we do every day in school. We have to make sure that we're making an effort to reach out and explain. That's what I've tried to do. I look to see you know, some of the places that you have lived and worked and traveled to, right? So you talked about China, but you've also done this work in Ecuador, Indonesia, and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And as you said, for us here in America, Every morning we have a morning greeting, everyone's standing outside, you know, or we have a central meeting place. And that is not what school arrival looks like for everyone. Mm -hmm. But unless you highlight those small cultural differences and realities, people may just assume this is what it looks like here and beyond. It allows everyone to take a step back and think about how has culture, right, really influenced all that I'm doing. Recently, Yarin and I spoke with two other very interesting women, and it's making me think about it. We've learned about the, the Gullah Geechee communities and their rich cultural heritage, which has not uh, really been focused on in mainstream, but is really a huge part of the, the Black African-American diaspora here, or with a Navajo yoga teacher, uh, another indigenous example. And so the more that we can share and showcase, have people think outside of what their norm is, the better chance we have of connecting with students. And as you mentioned, building that relationship in a place where they see, they feel seen, Mm -hmm. they feel understood is going to make them more invested. I know it does that for me. There's so much variance and we don't know, you know, where our kids are coming from on day one, necessarily. We know what's in the paperwork and we know what the parents feel comfortable revealing to us, but there's so many things to learn about them and to acknowledge in the classroom. And students express to me a fear that they'll accidentally make a mistake or say something um, offensive, you know, without meaning to, or how am I supposed to educate myself about every single background that my students bring with them? And I think it's not so much about that, about being perfect or being fully educated. It's about acknowledging that you don't know things and asking students to tell you and explain to you and allowing them a, a sense of agency, right? If you look at research about identity and investment, like from Bonnie Norton, I don't know if anyone knows Bonnie Norton. She's my favorite researcher. 
um, in the field, she talks about, you know, how language is inextricably tied to our sense of selves, to our identity. But it's not just language, right? It's everything that we do. We define who we are. It changes. It's dynamic. It changes over time. And that affects our motivation, right? Do we want to become part of a new community? If you, if you are the child of an immigrant who was brought here without much understanding of what's going on and you're confused and you're overwhelmed, you're worried about not being able to communicate with your parents if you learn English, we see that resistance, we see that reticence, um, or we see the opposite. We see this overwhelming desire to fit in and then to sort of not discard, but maybe to separate yourself from home culture. So there's so many problems that can arise when teachers aren't aware of all of these things happening inside. And, you know, the notion of culturally responsive pedagogy wasn't developed to address the needs of Els. The researcher, Gay, she developed it to address the needs of African-American students in urban spaces. And so there's a culture to school and that can be a cultural disconnect, not just, you know, from a different country or a different practice and a completely obviously different culture. So we have to keep those things in mind. And I think that starts with telling our teachers to reflect on who they are and what notions they bring with them. So there's that notion of implicit bias, you know, that you can bring with you without being aware that you're bringing it and that can affect your teaching. At this upcoming conference, there are going to be topics really involved with addressing the unique needs and opening the doors for all learners, diverse learners to be successful. So whether it's the culturally responsive sustaining education, the CRSE from New York State, uh, your pedagogy, and even just with the kickoff that Nancy Cloud is going to be addressing, advancing English language learners' language and literacy development using culturally responsive children's books. Mm -hmm. There is something for everybody. I, I think you hit it on the head. It's for our newbies, our teacher candidates, our our students who are just maybe in their first foundations class, it could be who are student teaching or in their first year of teaching, as well as our seasoned educators. I do think there's something for, for everyone at this conference. And maybe my hope is that by coming to our conference, they learn a little bit about the Changing Suburbs Institute and the good work we're doing in our professional development schools and working with teachers and, and maybe reach out and want to learn more and how could they be partners? So do we have a few minutes where Lauren can just talk about her great work as a PDS liaison? Absolutely. We want our listeners to know the educational forum is really what we're talking about yes. predominantly here today. But throughout the rest of the school year, there is so much else that's going on based on those four goals. Definitely, Lauren, share a little bit for our listeners so that they can understand how this partnership can benefit teachers and students alike. I'm new to this position as a PDS liaison. So I have Dr. Ferrara in Manhattanville to thank for just sort of calling me one day and saying, do you want to do this? And I said, okay, that was mid-November. I've only been doing this for a few months. And of course there was winter break. I've just returned from Chicago where there's a national PDS conference to get some ideas and to learn about what I can do in this position. So what it entails as a PDS liaison is being at two well, I'm at two different schools, some, some liaisons may be at three or four. You spend one day per week at each school, making yourself available to teachers who might need assistance in the classroom, working with students whose needs could align with your, your specialty. So right now we have Jiggy's speaking student from Brazil. And because I think generally, you know, bilingual education is conflated with TESOL on occasion, right? And they're different things. So 
we these are dual language schools so the teachers are very culturally responsive they're very aware of the needs of students but sometimes language pedagogy when you don't share um, a language with your student can be challenging so i'm working with her to try to help that student we can use funds from the partnership to fund projects or to purchase supplies that can be used for a project or educational outcome so we've just bought bilingual books for one of the classrooms at in a portchester school where i am and started book clubs for students so they can switch back and forth between books in both languages and you know develop literacy simultaneously compare how you know each language portrays the same book and discuss major themes and they've actually you know i can send emails to principals and to you know the entire population of teachers about events like this forum so hopefully we have teachers from both schools attending and that's part of the professional development as a PDS school that we can offer. I like being in the school so I, I don't get disconnected. You know, it's easy as a professor, you just, you get ingrained in all the research and articles and you start teaching methodology and then eventually you're teaching the same methodology for decades and you haven't actually been in a classroom, right? In a K through 12 room, I don't want that to happen. So I'm really grateful that I have this opportunity and I can stay up to date. Lauren, I'm just so inspired by your work and, and you're really connected and understand like to be successful and to make an impact what needs to happen, what needs to to go into the recipe um, for each teacher, for each student, and that you consciously recognize that to be connected, you have to be at, you know, right there in the nitty gritty of it all. It's just really inspiring and you're doing transformational work and I, I thank you for that. It's really lovely and beautiful and it, it will leave a, a lasting impact for sure. So as we close out, we just wanna share that Bilingual in America is very proud to be partnering with CSI for the forum. And we look forward to the, the workshops and the theme again, I wanna say it's cultural responsiveness unlocking the potential for diverse learners. We're so excited. And Susan, if you could just share the date and how people can yes. register. We are holding it on the morning of Friday, April 22nd. Again, it's from nine to 12 is really when the last workshop will end and will be available if someone asks questions or wants more answers about CTLE or learn more about um, changing suburbs as to professional development. So again, it's Friday, April 22nd, and registration will be through BOCES frontline. So most of your learners have probably registered for a class through BOCES or my learning plan um, is actually frontline now, but it will be that same process. And we're excited to learn together, work together. There is still so much that we all want to do as a collective. And as we say here on Bilingual in America, continue to speak your beauty. Thank you. The four of us had a lot of fun recording this episode, and I feel that Yarina said it best. When we align with others and champion the same causes, we get good information out to folks. The conference is happening on April 22nd, and there is still time to register. It is no wonder that CSI, with four major goals of teacher leadership, community partnerships, parent engagement, and the dissemination of information, has been recognized by the White House for Bright Spots in Hispanic Education. Yarina and I invite you to learn alongside of us at this half-day event on April 22nd. Until next time, what more will you do 
to speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm Bilingual in America and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback. Follow us, like us, share us.